Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I'm going to talk to you and start this message uh, or this series of messages called Dare to Hope. Dare to Hope. The first place I want you to turn is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it'll make sense why we're going there in just a second. But we're talking about, for the next several weeks, the concept of hope, and that is a concept that is needed in our world today, perhaps now more than ever in our lifetimes. And I, I say that in our lifetimes uh, very intentionally, because although it's probably as dark as it's been for any one of us, it's still not as bad as it has been on the planet. So don't let your hearts get troubled. Don't let your heart be filled with despair. As bad as things seem in our culture, as terrified as people are of viruses and global pandemics, as challenged as people are over having opinions over elections and the future of countries and nations and the future of our world, as negative as it may seem, it's still not as bad as it has been in the world in times past. Y'all remember the days of Noah? The Bible says during the days and times of Noah that every single human being on the planet only ever thought evil all the time. It was so bad that Noah was the only guy on the planet who had found favor with God. One human being on planet Earth had a connection to God. It's not that bad. I mean, 2020 is bad, but it ain't that bad, y'all. We got a reason to be happy. Amen? But... I do say that hope is one that is needed in our world and in our lifetimes, perhaps more than ever. The title of the series is Dare to Hope. The title of this first message in the series is called Purveyors of Hope. Purveyors of Hope. And I believe that this is the will of God for his church. I believe it's the will of God for our lives that we be purveyors of hope. And you say, what in the heck is a purveyor. Not really a word that we use very often, but it's one that stuck out in my mind many, many years ago. Where I grew up in Florida, I was born in New York, but spent most of my um, years coming up in the state of Florida. And down in Florida, there's a company that runs a chain of restaurants and shops called Tommy Bahamas. How many of you have ever heard of Tommy Bahamas? Yeah, it's a great place. One of our favorites, it's one of those places that you, if you're going to take a nice date, you know, if you're going to take a girl out on a nice date, you take her to Tommy Bahamas, you know, and you kind of look like a baller when you do that. So, but I remember being, and if you're ever in Sarasota, it's on St. Armand Circle, you can go to Tommy Bahamas and, and uh, they have, it's right on the corner, it's a beautiful two-story restaurant. And the sign above Tommy Bahamas says this, this is their, this is their slogan, that they are, that Tommy Bahamas is, that they are purveyors of island lifestyles. Purveyors of island lifestyles. And I remember being 13 or 14 years old and seeing that and thinking, what in the world is a purveyor of an island lifestyle? I had no idea what that meant. But I remember kind of looking into it and researching it. And I wanted to use that word to talk about how we as the body of Christ, are called to be merchants and distributors of hope 
to the world. What is a purveyor? It's an older word that's not used as much today as it was, say, 150 years ago. But a purveyor is a person who sells or deals in particular goods. A person who sells or deals in particular goods. It's also used to describe a person or a group that spreads or promotes an idea or a view. How many of you know that there are groups and people in our world spreading their points of view? Right? All you got to do is look at this terrible little device in the back of your pocket called a phone, and you can find real quick that everybody's got a point of view. Well, how many of you know that our, I believe, our point of view as the church of Jesus Christ ought to be hope? Our, we, we ought to be purveyors. We ought to be a group of people or individual people who deal in hope. Just like, you know, you could have been a, you could have been a tobacco pur- purveyor. You could have been a gunpowder purveyor. You could have been a dry goods purveyor a hundred years ago. I want to be a hope purveyor. I want to be somebody who deals in hope, that every time you get around me, you leave more encouraged, more hopeful, more built up, more strengthened, more excited about the future just because you're around me. How many of you want that for your own life? I want to be a purveyor of hope, man. You and I are called to be people who deal in hope. Our life's mission is to be a people or group that spreads and promotes the idea of hope. You're a hope merchant. I know that the world looks ugly. I know that it's scary out there. I know that things don't look the way that you want them to. That's why you're here. Hello? God puts us in environments with the intention that we will change those environments. The Bible says that we are in the world but not of the world. Y'all know that scripture, right? You and I have been called from the kingdom that we come from, from the place of our origin, if you will. We're, we're part of the kingdom of God, and we have a responsibility to deal in hope, to deal in the things that God possesses. I want to be a merchant of everything that heaven has. Amen. So let's, let's allow the word of God, to, before we dive into what is hope and, 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 and all of that, let's allow the word to give us a little backdrop and set the, set the tone and give us a little context. That's why I had you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll see it on the screen or you can see it in your Bible or your app. A lot of people use Bible apps these days. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Notice that first line there. Now then, we are, what's the word? Ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Y'all have heard me talk about this before. Yeah, a purveyor. An ambassador is somebody who leaves the country that they're from and goes to another country to represent the country that they're from in that country. That's what an ambassador does. And Paul says that you and I are called by God to be ambassadors right here, right now on Christ's behalf. 
How many of you know Jesus isn't in the earth right now? Oh, but he is. Because you're here. Let me say that again. Jesus isn't in the earth. Well, where's Jesus? Well, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Jesus is sitting down next to Father God on a big throne, and he reigns from that place forever. And so, you know, Jesus isn't in the earth. Oh, but he really is, because you're here, and because I'm here, because we are the body of Christ, right? We are his hands and feet. We used to sing a song about that. If y'all grew up in church in the 80s and 90s, you remember an audio adrenaline song says, I want to be his hands and I want to be your feet. I'll go where you send me. Jesus has enabled and embodied you with himself so that you can go into this world and represent him. We're ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors, we have a job. A large part of our calling from God is our assignment as ambassadors of God's kingdom. Sometimes we don't live with enough of an awareness of our assignment and our goal. If you're taking notes, you may want to make note of this. As a Christian, I'm not living this life simply to make it through life and arrive in heaven. Think about that for a second. Not living in this life simply just to slide through and hope that I make it into heaven someday. Jesus didn't just plop you on this earth and say, okay, you got me. Good luck with that. See you when you die. It's not how it works. We're part of a living kingdom. We're part of a living relationship with a living God, and he has embodied us and enabled us with himself so that we could represent him. We don't need to live with an escapist mentality. We've, we've talked and touched on this before, but you know, sometimes we, we start to think about what it'll be like when Jesus comes back and how great that'll be. Sometimes we, we, we sing songs when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When I get over into Beulah land, it's going to be great. And we... And we we build up in our own minds this thought that things on earth are going to be so bad as long as we're here, but if I can just white-knuckle grip it and hold on tight, someday Jesus is going to come and rapture me out of here. And we live with that life, we live with that mentality in our lives. It's, a, it's an escapist way of living. That's not what we're called to do. An ambassador doesn't think that way. An ambassador, think about it, when the ambassador goes in and gets to the country with their, where they're supposed to be stationed, they, the first thing on their agenda is not to go, well, let me schedule my exit plan when I'm leaving. Oh, I wonder when the helicopter is going to come pick me back up so I can go back home and get out of here. No, when they hit the ground, they go, what's my job to do while I'm here? I got a, I got a, I got a task list that was given to me by my superiors in this other country that I came from. And so now, hang on. Oh, I'm supposed to start to interact with the people here. I'm supposed to start meeting with leaders. I'm supposed to start having an influence in the area that I've been stationed. That's how an ambassador thinks. That's how a purveyor thinks. We are called as kingdom representatives. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus modeled this perfectly. Perfectly. He showed up in this world and he brought the culture and the principles of the world that he came from. <laughs> think about that. Jesus got to planet earth 
And he said, I came from another place. And I brought the culture of that place with me. I I brought the principles of that place with me. I brought the kingdom with me. Why is it that when we read through the scriptures, we see things about the kingdom of God and it feels so upside down to us? Did you ever think about that? This is not in my notes, but maybe it's for somebody today. Did you ever think about why the kingdom feels so upside down? Like Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If you want to gain your life, lose it. If you want to prosper, give everything. Sow a seed if you want to grow. I mean, like, oh, oh, you, you, you have an offense. If you want to get out of the offense, forgive. Don't retaliate. He, said, he would say things like this. You've heard it said that the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, forgive your neighbor, love your enemy, bless those that persecute. Why does that sound so backwards to us? It's because Jesus is representing a whole different reality. He's representing a whole different kingdom. And it's the only reason he was so effective when he came here. It's the only reason Jesus could stand before a blind man and say, I said you don't have to be blind anymore. The world around you says blindness is what you got. It's your cross to bear for the rest of your life, brother. You're just going to be blind. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, there is no blindness in the kingdom I came from. Let me give you a taste of what I brought with me. That's an ambassador. Jesus modeled it perfectly, and it was why he was able to do something about the hurts of humanity. Guys, we get to take part in the same assignment. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm a traveling merchant, and I have a bag of goods called faith, hope, love, peace, joy, blessing, not cursing, forgiveness, not fear. Amen? I've got joy in place of all the anxiety that the rest of the world is, is, is burdened and loaded down with. I came from another kingdom, and I brought the goods of that kingdom with me. So when I see somebody who's hopeless and in despair, I can reach into my bag and say, Here, here's what God has. I'm a purveyor. It's your lucky day. I'm a purveyor of hope. You have in your possession, spiritually, everything that the world needs. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that one down. If you you think about the challenges that you and I face on a day-to-day basis, the people we interact with, you and I have everything the world needs. And it's some, listen guys, sometimes we get really, we really lose sight of this. I do it all the time. I'm not trying to preach at you or down to you today. I do this all the time. I see a problem and I forget that the answer to that problem, whatever the problem is, is in me. It doesn't matter. Guys, it could be, it could be, you know, it could be as simple as a a hangnail or as significant as AIDS. It could be the answer to an argument. It could be the restoration of a marriage. It could be a, a, a parent who needs to have some hope because their kids have gone astray. It could be a situation on the job. It could be a problem with my neighbor. It could be a family issue. Any, any individual issue that you and I encounter, we already have the answer to that in us. Because Jesus lives in us. And he's the answer. He is the hope of the world. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. Amen. 
You've got, what am I trying to tell you? You've got something to say about the issues that you encounter. You've got something to say to the issues that you encounter. Y'all doing okay in, in here this morning? This isn't too heavy or anything, is it? It's encouraging. All right, so let's talk a little bit now. We, we've got this, this backdrop, this idea of us as ambassadors, as purveyors of hope. So what is hope? In the scriptures, hope, and we're going to spend the next five weeks really unpacking these concepts. In the scriptures, hope always involves an expectation. Say that out loud. Say expectation. Hope always involves an expectation in the scripture. The simplest definition that most theologians and preachers tend to use for hope is the following, an earnest expectation. Hope is an earnest expectation. Contrary to how you and I use the word hope, contrary to the way that we use, the, use hope in our modern speech and vernacular, the way we use hope is more of a wish, right? I hope ASU goes all the way this year. I hope they have that in my size, right? <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope, but it's really just a wish. I hope she remembers it's my birthday. I hope this, I hope that, I hope he, I hope he doesn't forget, I hope he doesn't forget to take the trash out, right? That's really not an expectation, it's really more of a wish. And unfortunately, culture has cheapened the value of this word. Culture has cheapened the word hope till, till we think of it as just a wish. But the reality is when you read hope in the Bible, you can replace it or you can, in your mind, think of the word expectation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, we won't look at it this week, but maybe in one of these coming weeks, in Romans chapter 4, it says that contrary to hope, Abraham in hope believed so that he would become the father of many nations. You see, Abraham took hold of a promise that God made him, and he began to expect that promise to come to pass, and that, my friends, is how hope works. And you and I are hope merchants. The world needs the hope that you and I carry. Now, in the New Testament Greek, the definition for the word hope is powerful. The following comes from Thayer's Greek lexicon. He said, and I quote, much more frequent in the classics and always in the New Testament, in a good sense, hope is the expectation of good. And in the Christian sense, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Man, how rich is that? What, a, what an awesome definition. Let me read it to you again. Dr. Thayer said, much more frequent in the classics, meaning the Greek classic texts, and always in the New Testament, in a good sense, hope means the expectation of good. And in the Christian sense, it means a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. You see, when you get some hope in you, you know what comes with hope? Joy. Think about that. When you get some hope from God, what's bundled in with the hope, right? It's like when you order a number two and the fries come with it. You don't have to ask them for fries. It just comes in the bag. What comes in the bag with hope? Joy. 
Joy comes in the bag with hope because there's an expectation of the good that God has intended for you and me to live in. And we say, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be better than today. Hope, has, hope tells me that it's going to improve and increase no matter what I face. The worst case scenario, worst case scenario, let's say that everything in your life goes wrong and you die. Worst case scenario, you're standing in front of Jesus. Worst case, I mean, worst case scenario. It only gets better for us. Come on, guys, we read the back of the book, we win. Okay, it only gets better for us because we're in Him. And the world needs to know that because to them out there, it doesn't get better. To them out there, they're fearful, they're afraid, they're terrified, they don't know what to do. I got, I've talked to people, they're terrified of November 3rd. Terrified of it. I've talked to people that say, oh, brother, I don't know. I just, I don't know what we're going to do till we get a vaccine. Oh, brother, I don't know what's going to happen on November 3rd. It's going to be, oh, oof. And you could see it in their eyes, man. Despair, 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 despair. Somebody gets a bad, new, bad medical report from the doctor, and the first thing that they do, man, their, their soul just sinks. They go, oh, no, what am I going to do? See, hope's like an engine on the inside of you that will crank up your faith to believe that God said whatever he said, he'll do it. Hope's like an engine on the inside of you that'll just, man, when the doctor tells you you're not going to make it, when the, when the system tells you that you're not going to make it, when, when the world seems to be pressing you down, hope on the inside's like, no, man, kick it into a low gear. We're going to climb this hill. We're going to go with it, man. Put in four-wheel drive. Get us out of this ditch. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The Bible says it's an anchor to our soul, Hebrews chapter 4. Getting ahead of myself in the notes here, but that's okay. Hope, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this one down. Hope always, I put it in capital letters in my notes in bold. Hope always looks to the future. Hope always looks to the future. In fact, I want you to think about it this way. Hope only exists in the future sense. Hope doesn't exist in the past. Can you hope for something that's already happened? Hope doesn't, hope, the only tense that hope ever exists in is in the future. It's not for the present and it's not for the past. It's strictly for the future. It's a forward-looking, forward-thinking mindset. I want you to, to look at Jeremiah 29, 11. You, you all know this. You've probably got this, you know, somewhere in your house taped or magneted to some kitchen or mirror, bathroom, bathroom, mirror. My, my mother made uh, little three-by-five cards when my sister and I were kids. So every morning when I was getting ready for high school, I'd be brushing my teeth looking at Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord your God, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, get a hope in the future. Thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> Look at tw Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts... That I think toward you, says the Lord. Here, here's where it gets exciting. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. Remember what I just said. Hope is for the future. It's forward looking. And as a matter of fact, I wrote it down this way. If you're going to have a future, you're going to be required to have a hope. If you're going to have a future, 
of any kind, you're going to be required to have a hope. Oh, brother, I don't want to get people's hopes up. I do. It's the only thing that's going to give them a future. Oh, brother, don't tell them that. Then people think then they might start to expect God to do stuff. Yeah, duh. That's the idea. The reason people are not experiencing the things of God is because they haven't started to expect God to do anything in their life yet. They're still wishing. And God's like, no, 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 no. I need you to expect some things. I need you to put some pressure on our relationship. That's what God's invitation to us is all the time. Would you please put some weight into our relationship? But would you please put some pressure on me so that I will, so that you'll see that I am who I said that I was? Glory to God. See, we want to talk about faith. We love to talk about faith. We love to talk about the mechanics of faith. But if we leave hope out, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. If you're going to have a future, you're going to first be required to have a hope. Now, in the Old Testament, are you ready for this? I gave you the New Testament definition for hope, the Greek definition. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew definition gets even more interesting. Here in Jeremiah 29.11, it means, the word hope means an expectation or something that you long for. Something that you long for. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. You ready? In the Hebrew, let me give you a real quick nerdy Bible moment, okay? You ready for this? In the Hebrew, Hebrew word definitions oftentimes have two meanings. One is literal and one is figurative, okay? Now, the figurative definition of hope in the Hebrew is what I just read. An expectation of, or something that you long for. That's the figurative definition. You want to know what the literal definition is? A cord or a rope. Isn't that interesting? Hope in the Hebrew is a rope. A cord or a rope. In fact, this same word was used in the book of Joshua. Do you remember when the children of Israel were getting ready to invade Jericho? And they found a harlot named Rahab who lived high up on the wall in Jericho. And the spies, there was two spies coming and going. And they said, she said that I'll give you refuge. You can come and stay at my house, basically. And they said, here's what we need you to do. We need you to lower a rope, a cord, a scarlet cord out of your window. And we'll use that to climb up into your house. And then when we're leaving, we'll use that rope to get down. Y'all remember that story? It's the same Hebrew word that's translated hope. Hope and rope. I don't believe that it's a mistake that they're only one letter off in the English language. Hope and rope is the same thing. Why is that important? Because hope is a lifeline. Hope is a lifeline. Hope oftentimes is the last thing people have to hang on to. Glory to God. It's a cord that you can hold on to. Hope will always be there when you need something to support you. Bible hope is like a life raft that's thrown to people. It's a cord. If you were sinking in the ocean, you don't, you don't care how fast the boat is. You just want to get in it, right? So what do I do? Throw you a lifeline. Hope is humanity's lifeline. Glory to God. Hope is humanity's lifeline. It's the expectation. Because think about this. Thank you, Lord. 
going off my notes for a second. Think about this. Why is hope, why is it that hope can be at the same time a lifeline and the expectation of something good? It's because when somebody throws you a lifeline, you know there's somebody bigger and stronger at the other end of that lifeline that's going to make you safe. So I can expect that when I grab a hold of the, hope, of, the, of the hope, of the rope, when I grab a hold of it, I'm getting pulled to safety. When I grab a hold of that thing, I know it's not going to fail me. When I hold on to the expectation that God is who he says he is, what I'm doing is I'm grabbing a hold of a rope called hope, and on the other end of that rope is the one who never failed, and he's pulling me in. The God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who was and is and is to to come, is pulling on that rope, and I can have absolute expectation he will not drop me. Glory to God. Now, turn with me, and we're going to land the plane here, okay, for this week. Turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. You want to talk about the last place you would think to look for a scripture on hope in the Bible, Lamentations. They say, where is Lamentations? I don't know. It's in the Old Testament somewhere. I know. It's after Jeremiah. Gracie's like, it's after Jeremiah. It is after Jeremiah, and that's actually, that's actually important. because You're pulling it up on your iPhone. That's not, it doesn't even count. Golly, no wonder you aced all them Bible drills. Praise God. Here's the funny thing, okay? Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. They called Jeremiah in the Old Testament the weeping prophet because he wrote the book Lamentations, and it was all about this sad, sad prophetic word that he had to deliver to the children of Israel, and it broke his heart to tell God's people the things that he wrote in Lamentations. However, there are some glimmers of hope in Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 19, and we're going to finish with verse 24. Y'all ready for this? Anyways. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. Doesn't sound too exciting, does it? I don't know how bad your life is. I've never had wormwood or gall. I don't even know what gall is, but it can't be good. (laughs) Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. Watch this, guys. This is a life without hope. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Now, before we go another step in this verse, how many of you could say, I identify and I understand that feeling? How many of you know what it's like to get a bad report, to get some bad news, to have something hit you out of the blue, and your soul sinks? Now, here's what's amazing. The power of of the human mind that God put in us, you've got an amazing mind that God put in you. Here's the amazing power of the human mind. When you remember that situation, your soul sinks again. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it incredible that something can remind you of something that happened in your past and you can get the same feeling on the inside just like that? This is why the Bible teaches us whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are just, whatever things are of a good report, think on these things. You and I have a thought life that can either raise us up or let us sink. Notice what he says, my soul still remembers. And in the remembering, oh, my soul sinks. 
That is a life of despair. But let's keep reading. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. I want the people who struggle with anxiety to get a hold of these two verses. When I remember the sad days, when I remember the wormwood, when I remember the gall, my soul sinks. It's called depression. It's called anxiety. It's hopelessness. It's despair. But you get to the very next verse. What does he say? This is how you fix it. I recall to my mind And therefore, I have hope. What do you recall to your mind, Jeremiah? Verse 22, I recall that through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. I recall that because his compassions fail not. I recall that his compassions are new every morning. I recall great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My soul says, therefore, I hope In him. Glory to God. That's how you fix a broken heart. That's how you fix a messed up mind. That's how you get over and and conquer and come out of depression. That's how you rise above the situations that your life throws at you from time to time. I'm telling you, the negative thoughts are going to come. Your soul's going to sink. But in that moment, you recall the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. What are you doing? You're holding on to the rope of hope. And on the other end of that rope is somebody way bigger and way stronger than you who's reeling you in and is not going to let you slip. Glory to God. You think that was good? Let me read this to you in the NLT. Watch. Watch. Okay, here we go. The NLT says, The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter, beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. I I don't want to pretend that loss hasn't happened in your life. That grief hasn't happened in your life. See, one of the things that I think we do too, too frequently, and it's not a good thing, is that we get excited about hope and we want people to come back from their, from their pain. And so we try to ram it down their throat. Though. Oh, let's just move on. Let's get past this grief, you know. No, no, no. Bad things happen to people all the time. I don't want you to neglect the grief that you find. I just don't want you to stay there forever. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Watch this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I'm here to tell you that when circumstance rears its ugly head, 
when the doctor's report comes back, when there's conflict in the marriage, when there's conflict in the home, when you get the notice from your boss that the job's done and you're laid off, or when you get fired, or when you are feeling whatever that hopeless moment is, as your soul wants to try to sink, you remind yourself, I have a reason that I can dare to hope. I can dare to hope. Sometimes hope feels like a dare. Sometimes hope doesn't even make sense to your mind because it's the only thing in your life that seems to be positive. Think about that for a second. Some, I, don't read, I don't believe it's a mistake that the NLT translates it, dare to hope, yet I dare to hope. Because sometimes it feels like a dare. Sometimes it feels like a dare. I just thought of something funny, but I'm going to let go. <laughs> Sometimes hope feels like a dare, man, because it's literally the only thing in my life that seems to still be positive. Like everything else is swirling down the toilet bowl, and I just can't figure things out. And the only thing that seems to be the slightest bit redemptive is this hope that I have in the faithfulness of God. I'm telling you, hold on to that. Hold on to that life rope, that life rope, that lifeline of hope. You must still dare to hope. I want to close with this question, and I have three answers to it that I'll give you very quickly. Why can I dare to hope? In the last couple minutes we have here, why can I dare to hope? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever thought that way? Why can I dare to hope? Reason number one, it's because God is merciful. <laughs> Why can I dare to hope? Why can you dare to hope? Why on earth can we take that leap and that dare and that's that thing that seems so audacious called hope? Why can I even dare to do it? Number one, because God is merciful. <laughs> because he's not counting your badness against you. Because he's not counting your failure against you. Because he's not tallying up. He's not sitting in heaven with a, you know, with a notepad and a pencil. Okay, well, kick the cat again. <laughs> Strike one. Aha, uh -huh, argued with your wife. Hmm, oh, lied. Mm -hmm, yeah, saw that lie. Nice try. Mm, oh, cheated on your taxes. Mm, okay. Looked at pornography. Mm, oh, bad, very, very bad. Okay, uh, you had an argument with your neighbor. Ah, you did the opposite of what the boss told you to do. God's not sitting up in heaven tallying up your bad marks. The Bible says, Psalms, oh, what's the chapter? doesn't matter. You can find it later. In the book of Psalms, David says, I'm thankful that you don't judge me according to my iniquities. I'm thankful that you don't keep a record of every time I've mistaked, every time I've made a mistake. You can hope in God, number one, because he's merciful. Number two, because he's faithful. Because <laughs> he's faithful. Because he's never not there. How many of you grew up with a parent that wasn't there? How many of you grew up with a dad or a mom that just weren't there? You went looking for him. You needed him in a moment and they weren't there. Jesus has never not been there. He's always there. He's faithful. He is worthy 
of your trust. That's what it means to be faithful, to be somebody who's deserving of your trust. Amen. Why can I dare to hope? Number one, because he's merciful. Number two, because he's faithful. And number three, because he is my inheritance. (laughs) That ought to make you want to do cartwheels. God is your inheritance. Do you realize the gravity of that statement? You know what inheritance is, right? It's what you get after somebody dies. It's what you get after somebody, well, when great-grandpa Harry kicks the bucket, I'm going to get his whatever, favorite pencil. I don't know. The inheritance is whatever comes to you as the result of a will because somebody dies. I'm here to tell you, there's a will, and in the will are many, 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 many promises. And somebody died and left it to you. God is your inheritance. That's what we read in that Lamentations verse. It says, he is my inheritance. You inherit God himself. That's intense. I want to make this statement as I close. We ask the question, why can I dare to hope? We gave some pretty good answers as to why you can dare to have hope in a time of uncertainty. And I want to give you this in hope that it will help you. Hope only ceases to be a reality in your life when you stop looking for it. As long as you're looking for hope, there is hope. The minute you stop looking for hope is the minute it stops being a possibility in your life. Don't ever stop hoping in the promise of God. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's our inheritance. And as long as we will look for hope, we will find it. The only time I won't find hope is when I stop looking for it. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.